Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to The Cosmic Connection. This is your place to explore the order and the beauty of the cosmos and your connection to it all. My name is Amanda Poole Walsh. I'm the founder of Astrology Hub, and I am here with your favorite celestial navigator, Rick Merlin Levine. And we're so happy to be back for your monthly forecast. We're looking ahead at December. And Rick, I feel like we've been talking about December since 2020. I feel like we've been talking about December of 2021 since last year. Like this is. I feel like we've been talking about December of 2021 since last year. And we've been talking about 2020 and 2021 since the turn of the 19th century. That, that's me. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. So before we dive into that, I wanted to just make a few quick announcements. The first is I'd like to announce the winners of our podcast review contest. And we had hundreds of reviews that came in. We were so grateful for all of your support and encouragement. And it was really, really amazing to hear from all of you. And we have chosen six winners. And we're going to be getting in touch with you very shortly to give you details about how to claim your reward. But the winners are Louise Muellenbelt. I, I hope I'm saying that name right. Michelle Wolf Watson, Annette Peterson, Amanda Barabay, and Ronnie Izzard, and Candice Lichtblau Schertz. So if you're here, congratulations. If you're listening to this recording later, congratulations. And you will be hearing from us very soon to claim your rewards. We have four reports in there and two, two people won memberships to the Inner Circle for a year. And that was Amanda and Ronnie. And then the rest of the names that I said are receiving either the character and destiny report or the year ahead report. So, and can the next time can people with shorter names apply also? <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, okay. The second thing is the Pluto panel event that we did, Pluto and the Fate of the USA. That is still available. Rick was on that panel. It was amazing. It was. What was your experience of that, Rick? Oh, I I loved it. Everyone had such such good. Well, good isn't the right word. Everyone had such intelligent observations, and there was very little overlap, but there was a lot of intrapersonal support. Yeah, true. Um, okay, so if you missed that, you can still tune into it, and it's talking about 2022, the USA Pluto return. What's that going to mean for USA, for the United States, and for the world? And that is available at astrologyhub.com slash Pluto return. Finally, Next week, December 8th and 9th, is our free 2022 forecast panel featuring 12 astrologers that will be talking about 2022 and all the important transits and energies of the year ahead. You can sign up for that. Again, it's free. That's at astrologyhub.com slash 2022 forecast. And that is also the big kickoff event for our Inner Circle membership, which only opens twice a year and will be opening on December 8th. Amanda, yes. the, yes. the link for the Pluto return is astrologyhub.com slash Pluto hyphen return hyphen webinar. Pluto return webinar hyphenated. Pluto okay. hyphen return hyphen webinar. Okay. And then we have another link too that might be a little easier for people. It's oh. on the screen. But if you're listening, it's astrologyhub.com slash USA Pluto return. Okay. There we go. We got it. So many, so many choices. They all go to the same place. So it's good. All right. So Rick, last month, the theme was change is slow. This month, it's what true. are we looking at? Do you want to start well, with the theme or do you want to meander into the theme? 
No, I think we can start with the theme and then maybe build on it or meander back into it. The fact of the matter is, like you said, we've been talking about the square between Saturn and Uranus since last year, since since 2020. And we've been talking about how the third and final square is in December, actually on December 23rd or 4th, either Christmas Eve or, as you know, my favorite holiday, Christmas Eve Eve. Um, that will be the third and final exact square. And in a way, there is the beginning of a transition here, even though this whole year has been about change and about dynamic conflict, conflict between Saturn and Pluto. Um, my, uh, uh, my sarcastic way of cap encapsulating the month, because we're coming up to the end of the year, is very simply something that's been associated, maybe negatively, with astrology for a long time. But it's very simply, December is the end is near. Now, of course, that really means that there's a beginning that is also coming closer. And that beginning is 2021 and all that it brings. But December has a lot of speeded up change in it that kind of really has to do with some finalities. Hmm. Okay, so some some final finalities, actual endings of some of these storylines that we've been working with. Well, you think? yeah, in a way, I mean, not only the most dynamic, um, and that is that Saturn, um, the the Saturn Uranus square, um, but we also have Jupiter um, moving into Pisces before the month is out, and that we we got a little flavor of that earlier in the year. But it was just like a, a touch back in March, April, May, I think. I can look up the dates in a minute. I don't have them right in front of me. Um, but the fact of the matter is that by the end of the month, actually on the 28th, um, Jupiter moves into Pisces, and that sets the tone for a whole different set of issues because Jupiter then will be in 2022 in Pisces and in Aries. And so this is a whole different flavor than the Capricorn Aquarius stuff that we've been dealing with for a couple of years. Hmm. And how do you think that's going to play out? Like what, what kind of an energy is that compared to what we've been working with? Well, let me start off with the negative, And that is, I don't think the confusion ends hmm. because, because Jupiter in Pisces has a, I don't want to say higher and lower, but it has a, um, a, a higher and lower. <laughs> um, and, and the higher manifestation is, is that of, of spirituality, you know, that of um, the creative imagination. And, you know, Jupiter is moving into Pisces, where it will be for much of 2022. Jupiter is moving into Pisces, and it's the first time in a century and a half where Jupiter will actually catch up with and join Neptune in Pisces. And, and although I'm contractually restricted from talking about 2022 too much yet, 
<laughs> they all think have, I'm crazy when you, when you say that. We, we don't have the same contracts. Oh, okay. my contract. My contract is with the higher power, with, with the see. universe. Okay. No, um, but but the fact is that at the beginning of April, um, Jupiter catches up with Neptune. Neptune spends about 14 years in a sign. What that means is 14 years ago, when or 12 years ago, when Jupiter was last in Pisces, Neptune was back a sign in Aquarius. So Jupiter hasn't aligned, conjoined with Neptune in Pisces for well over a century. And Pisces is the home sign of Jupiter traditionally, and it is also the modern home sign of Neptune. And so we're kind of getting a flavor here. Do you remember how astrologers a couple of years ago, when we were coming into the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, astrologers were all excited that the fact is that although Saturn and Pluto join up every 32 to 38 years, that this was the first time since Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformation where Saturn joined up with Pluto while Saturn was in its home sign Capricorn. Right. That make that that gives Saturn more power as it joined up with Pluto. But now we have Jupiter and Neptune both in their home signs. And so I think that we can see some extraordinary breakthrough here. The question is, and there's no answer, anyone who says they have an answer is, as far as I'm concerned, projecting either their wishes or their fears, and I'll project both. (laughs) Um, My wish is that when Jupiter and Neptune spend time together this year and then finally conjoin and then still spend more time in Pisces, that there is an elevation of awareness and consciousness that has to do with loving and kindness and compassion and spirituality and and all of these things which have been reserved for, quote unquote, people on the path, all of a sudden will be much, much wider. You know, it's like we've seen astrology from 40 or 50 years ago, even though those of us who were in it then said, oh my God, this is growing so fast. We had no idea how fast it would grow compared to how it's growing now. And the same can be said of this whole kind of spiritual lean, Um, but it's also about creativity. It's about imagination. It's about vision looking forward. So I see all of these as grand potentials for Jupiter moving into Pisces in December, which I am allowed to talk about, but that kind of as as a foreshadowing and as an opening of the door, or maybe it's a window to the spaciousness, to the openness. Remember, Pisces Pisces has no boundaries because it is um, my, my 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 old buddy Jeff Jower um, used to call um, Pisces um, the cesspool of the zodiac or the swamp because. All the shit that's washed into the ocean eventually ends up in Pisces, where it becomes part of a greater whole. It loses its self-identity of good or bad, um, and it becomes part of that which makes the 
Mm, um, it's not the compost because it's already composted, but it makes that fertile ground for then Aries, the first moment of spring, to begin the new cycle. So I'm calling this the end is near, or the you know the, because because we're we're near a period of time where, and I don't think the end is going to be like an afternoon or a day. We're not talking about some you know um, Disney or Spielberg movie where it's oh my god the end is near. But I do think we've run a, a route, we've run a, a, a cycle on many levels that just isn't going to continue in the way that it's been con- that in the way that it's been going. And again, for so many people, that's already obvious. And for many people, it's not only obvious, it's frightening, and therefore they're grasping onto the old and grasping onto the, you know, to those things which were safe. And no judgment. I mean, it's like it, it's like there's people who believe that this is about survival of humanity, and um, and we've had some of the discussion about transhumanism and what we might evolve to be in fifty years or in three hundred years um, as a species, and and there is a lot of resistance to letting go of the things, letting go of the way that things were, and for some people still are. And on the other hand, you have that would all be Saturnian. And on the other hand, you have that Uranus energy that is wanting to just break down whatever those walls are. And I think that with Jupiter moving into Pisces, it's like some of those divisions begin to fade away. I think that that that's that's the potential here with with two caveats. One is that although the Saturn Uranus squares which happened the beginning of 2021, June, middle June of 2021, and now the end of 2021. It's almost like this entire year has been a study in what I oversimplified call the old versus the new. It's not that simple. It's the status quo versus the progressive. Um, it's the um, it's the wanting to hold on to that which is working versus I'm willing to let go of that which is working to get to something that works better. I mean, it's not there's no judgment. One is not right and the other wrong here. In fact, a lot of 2021 has been about trying to find a balance between these two energies. And although there are many astrologers, myself not included, who say that this third and final Uranus, uh, Saturn Uranus square on December 23rd, 24th, that's the end of the road there. The end is near. But the fact of the matter is that because of retrograde motion, these two planets come, uh, what, I want to use the word dangerously close, uh, hauntingly close again next fall. And and even around and through election day period of time, they're still close enough to matter. So it tells me that the issues aren't completely said and done and tucked away and put away. And yet we have so much other stuff that's moving into new ground that I think that there will become more and more distance from whatever it is, whatever the hell um, a double entendre intended, whatever the hell just happened. And when I say just happened, I really mean 2020 and 2021, and maybe even in a wider scope than, than that. 
Um, but I think that that's why the end is near, and I think that's what the Jupiter-Neptune um, is a harbinger of. That's the good news. That's the, you know, that's the upside. The downside is that, you know, when we lose identity, um, you know, it, it's like uh, I've been watching, I started watching the Peter Jackson uh, uh, Beatles, uh, The Let It Be, which I, I'm only one third, one, one out of three episodes into. It's fantastic. It's magnificent. It's not what you expect. Hmm. Um, but as I was watching it, I, I was thinking of um, one of the um, famous um, lyrics of the Beatles um, is, I am you as you are me, as we are all together. See how they run from gun, see how they... Uh, okay, this is Neptune in Pisces. It's the loss of boundaries. If I am you as you are me, as we are all together, that falls in one of two ways. One way, it's love. If there's no boundary between you and you between you and me, that's love. But on the other hand, if there's no boundary between you and me, and I'm not sure I even like you, that's fear. <laughs> that's loss of self. That's being kind of washed and dissolved into a greater something that you don't want any part of. And so, you know, the, the idea, and I know I've said this before, maybe in one of the foundation classes, that one of the key words for Neptune is confusion, because we don't know what's going on. And, and confusion can be frightening. And, you know, as these outer planets were discovered, Uranus, Neptune, then Pluto, each of them, when they came in, came in as the worst thing ever. Worse, this is worse than Saturn. <laughs> and then we learned how to integrate them and each of them began to have their upsides. But I think of the books that were written back around um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s and reference Neptune, they're always about delusion and confusion and, and psychotic um, uh, mental illness, uh, um, being misled, misleading others, lies and deceit. These are always Neptunian words when Neptune first started happening. But I find the word confusion interesting because as you know, as many here know, I'm a total geek when it comes to etymology and no, that's not the study, study of insects. Um, although if you look it up, you'll see why I mentioned that. Um, etymology is the study of the origin of words and the etymological origins of the word confusion come from two Greek words. One of them is con, the same con that's in conjunction. Um, and, um, and a conjunction is with. It makes this go with that. And fusion is simply a word when two things melt together. Hmm. So when you make bronze out of tin and copper, in a way, that's a confusion. <laughs> The negativity around confusion is the ego doesn't like to dissolve, even if it's dissolving into love. I mean, even if it's dissolving into a higher purpose, 
of either a personal love, Venus, I love you, or the higher form of Neptune, which is more of the agape, the love, you know, the, 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 the love that one has for the supreme, you know, creation and divinity and beauty of it all. That's a Neptunian love. But the problem is that the ego get it, that, that scares the shit out of the ego because the ego's job is self survival and self is basically in this definition. It's kind of where my skin ends. That's self. And so if I lose that perception as Neptune is moving through Pisces, and I would suggest we've all <laughs> been facing the loss of that. And now Jupiter which was originally the ruler of Neptune, now comes around for its visit into the same sign. So it expands the sense of loss of identity. On one hand, if we're losing identity and we're finding love, compassion, and kindness, cool beans. But if we're finding fear and misdirected anger for not being able to create our boundaries and make them stay so that we know who we are, where we are, when we are, and where we're going, then we get misplaced aggression. I mean, Rick, I have like 10 questions from that. I I have to wait because of my contract. I can't ask the questions till next month. Okay. (laughs) Um, Uh, Amanda, Amanda, your contract is you're in charge. You can do whatever the heck you want. Awesome. That's a great contract. All right. So question, I mean, I've, I I think I might leave the transhumanism question until the end um, because I want to explore what you said there a little bit. But yeah. also this idea of, so the feeling of confusion that many of us have been experiencing, you're saying that the reason why it's uncomfortable is because the ego doesn't like that dissolving. The ego doesn't like the fusion part of What's happening? The ego's job. The ego's job is to maintain survival for the self, and right. the self is not the Buddhist cosmic self. The self is the Amanda Walsh game, the Rick Levine game, mm-hmm. the Fred Smith game. I don't even know who Fred, Fred Smith. I think was the founder of, of uh, FedEx. Whatever. But it, it's. But the ego's job is to maintain the continuity and survival of the self. And that sometimes includes an immediate family or network. That's the job of the ego. If, if it gets confused as to where that self ends and begins. Um, I remember Ram Das once telling a story, his father, as you may know, um, was the chairman of, I think, the Connecticut New York Railroad, a, a Boston attorney, very wealthy man. And Ram Das in his um, hippies long you know, beard um, India days um, came home and showed his dad an album that they made at WBAI, which was the Pacifica Radio in New York before there was public radio. And, and he was so proud, Ram Das was so proud of it. Allen Ginsberg was on it and all kinds of musical groups. And, and his dad said, wow, this is really cool. What are you charging for this? And Ram Das says, we're charging $7 or something like that. And his father said, that's crazy. You could probably get $20 for this. That's that's insane. And Ram Das says, Dad, do you remember a few years ago when Uncle Harry had that legal problem? And and his father said, oh, yeah, I remember. Uh, I, I jumped in on that one and we took care of it. He goes, yeah, you did. Um, you must have spent a lot of time on it. He goes, yeah, I did. He goes, how much did you charge Uncle Harry? His father goes, charge Uncle Harry? I couldn't charge him anything. He's family. And Ram Das says, that's it. 
if I could find just one person out there who wasn't family, I'd charge them $20. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if, if our sense of family and who we are and our compassion begins to include not just me and you, but me and you and the other people who live on the block or the other people who live in the entire state or on the island or on the planet, that begins to mess things up, makes makes our lives more complicated. Okay. So it seems like a potential good good idea or good strategy for this, knowing that there that we actually could be in more states of confusion and sort of like meshing with each other and our environments, you know, more more coming together. That mm-hmm. being in a place where people and where you're not going to be running more into this fear and misdirected boundaries and the anger and those kinds of things, being in a place where you would want to mesh with other people, where you would yeah. want to to be enmeshed with their consciousness and with who they are and that, that, that you want to come together with. It seems like that's going to be even more important as we go into 2022. Would you agree? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. More questions. Is th- When you say this is the, the end is near, would you say that means like literal things like the end of conflict and uh, like the levels of conflict we've been seeing between the the people and authority um you know would you see that that, that those kinds of things are going to be All right let me let me let me bust your bubble as to how great an astrologer I really am what i really mean <laughs> what i really mean when i say the end is near i mean yeah. the end of the year oh god you don't mean the end of the stuff <laughs> We know the end of the year. <laughs> what about the end of COVID? What about the end of the vaccine mandates? What about the end of all this stuff? Yes? No? Yeah. Don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I think that there, there is transition coming to all or to many of these things. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, something else just popped into my mind as we're talking about confusion. And when you read the academic literature around the early works in hypnosis, there was two different paths to induce hypnosis. Um, To the professionals, not so much those who are professional now who were trained in the therapeutic hypnosis, you know, know, the hypnotherapy type type stuff. But um, going back a ways, there were were two types of hypnotic induction, and they were called mother hypnosis and father hypnosis. And mother hypnosis is a lot, is basically what's mostly used in hypnotherapy. It's the hi, my voice is your friend, listen to what I'm saying, you know, watch my hand, your eyes are going to get heavy, blah, 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 everything, you know, you're going to follow my words, and it's a gradual building of trust so that the words take over and affect someone's autonomic nervous system, and, and they let down their boundaries. The other way, sometimes called father hypnosis, which was used almost always by competent stage hypnotists is basically a confusion method. You know, you're taller, you're shorter, you're lightheaded, you're heavy footed, you're this, you're that, you're this, everything in opposites. And it's like, you know, you you know, you're feeling really heavy and, 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 and your eyes are getting heavy. Now you're wide awake and everything's, and then you're, you're mine. Because when you say you're mine, it all of a sudden there's no confusion and there's something to focus on. And at that moment, it's when people go through really crazy periods of confusion, that's when they come out of it um, as a true believer in the Eric Hoffer sense. I don't know if you know the, that book, The True Believer. 
Um, but it, it doesn't matter whether your true belief is Scientology, um, Jesus, or quantum physics. You, co- you, you, you connect to something that is what we would call a stable piece of data amongst a sea of swirling confusion, and that then becomes the focus, and, and it stabilizes everything. That's part of the danger of where we're at right now, because the more confused we become as a culture and a society, the more susceptible we become. And some of us have already fixed on some idea that, you know, that this is the truth. Doesn't matter whether it's the truth or not. It's the true believer. Um, And so I think that that's another potentiality of this whole confusion, uncertainty um, that that we're dealing with. And not all of that is about Neptune and Jupiter and Pisces, but it's a strong theme for next year. Hmm. So you would say that the, the lack of clarity, I mean, the lack of clarity, the um, swirling of information, that foggy feeling, that is going to continue. I think, it's, I think it'll probably get worse before it gets better. Okay. Wow. Okay, so do you want to go back to December? Like, let's just march through the month. And- yeah, plow through the month. And, yeah. and December is pretty straightforward. I mean, there are a few key events, and we kind of already focused on, you know, maybe what two of the most key events are. We can say a few words about them in context as we go through them. Um, but those two key events or two of the key events are both toward the end of the month, the Jupiter moving into Pisces on December 28th, and the Saturn-Pluto, exact Saturn-Pluto square um, on, um, on, on December 23rd or 4th. But remember, on December 1st, Saturn is at nine degrees of Aquarius, and Uranus is at 11 and three quarters of a degree. Um, that means that Saturn and Uranus at the beginning of the month are already less than three degrees apart. And so they're already square. I mean, if this was someone's birth chart and they had Saturn and Uranus less than three degrees from being exactly square, there's no question about that certainly would work. So that becomes a piece that is the background of December that kind of builds all the way through the end of the year. And even though it's done technically on Christmas Eve, Eve, even through January, that'll still be within a degree or so, so that this is still going to be part of the transition into the new year. Now, having said that, there's another couple of events that are significant. And one of them is the fact that the month opens on December 1st with Neptune turning direct. Now, this, interestingly enough, fits into everything else that we were talking about. And Neptune has had recently some aspects to it, including a sextile from Venus. Um, And in a way, Neptune is very powerful right now because it's just at the beginning of its direct movement, having just on December 1st ended a um, five-month retrograde phase. But as we go into the beginning of December, we have the Sun and Mercury in Sagittarius, South Node in Sagittarius, and we have the Moon in Scorpio. 
which means that by December 3rd, and I'm going to just move the calendar that I'm looking at ahead so I can watch these planets move. By December 3rd, actually um, late in the evening, 11.43 p.m., and that's Pacific time. So that would be, you know, um, nearly 3 a.m. East Coast time in the United States. That is the Sagittarius new moon. But this Sagittarius new moon at about 11 almost 12, uh, yeah, at 12 degrees of Sagittarius is only 11 degrees away from the south node at one, almost two degrees of Sagittarius. Whenever we have a new moon or a full moon close to the nodal axis, that's an eclipse. The um, um, Taurus full moon um, back in, um, back in, uh, back in November was the first of two eclipses and now at this new moon on December 3rd, we have a um, solar eclipse. And this is incredibly important because it is so closely, so closely um, quincunx to Uranus, which will be at 11 degrees, uh, 40 minutes, almost 12 degrees of, um, of Taurus. And so this um, eclipse that is quincunxing to um, uh, to Uranus is another statement of how these sudden changes and how this future futuristic stuff, the progressive stuff, just feels like, even if we're into it, just might feel like, oh my God, this is too much. And it's really hard to figure out how to integrate Uranus into this particular chart. Um, so I think that this um, uh, eclipse, and I'm sure that in the inner circle, the um, the uh, lunar guides, um, I don't know who the guide is for this month, I'm sure they'll have a whole lot more to say um, about this upcoming um, uh, total eclipse. Um, but the fact is that eclipses often have to do with with change. And again, eclipses are often about letting go of the old to allow in the, the, the new. And I think that that's all important and part of this. One of the things that also happens on the day of the eclipse is that Mars forms a square and a half, a sesquiquadrate or sesquisquare, a square 90 degrees, half a square, 45 degrees, 90 plus 45, 135 degrees. Mars sesquisquare Chiron, which is kind of like, it's like a fly in the healing ointment. We have this healing ointment that would be Chiron that would want, that's wanting to help make things better. And, and it's actually been on some levels working behind the scenes as Saturn has been just recently toward the end of November making its third and final sextile, Saturn making a sextile to Chiron. But on the eclipse itself, Mars is like not working well with Chiron. And there's this kind of, again, I don't want to have to heal. I don't want to have to be forgiven. I don't want to have to tell someone else that they're okay, even though they're a jerk. And yet at the same time, we have um, Mars also kind of working its way into some easier aspects, um, including um, a um, in- including a sextile. Where'd that go? Hold on. Yeah, including a sextile to Pluto, which is exact on the sixth. So we might see some deeper work happening on the sixth 
where people who have been at odds, and I say people at odds, it could be, you know, you and a, and, and a kid, or it could be um, a husband and a wife, any two people in a relationship, or it could be two people leading political parties. I don't care. Mars, um, the god of war, Pluto, the lord of the underworld, when these two planets are getting along in a supportive sextile, like they will be around December 6th, there is certainly potential for some healing there. Um, unfortunately, on the 7th, we have a couple of squares, and one of them is Mars to Jupiter, which may be the response being over the top. Um, I'm not saying good or bad, but there's definitely the eclipse is on the 3rd, but on the 6th and 7th, there's some movement of some sorts um, that I think, um, you know, given the whole picture of the month, I think I think is important. As we follow along, I think the next date that stands out in my mind is December 11, when Venus catches up with Pluto. And, you know, he, even on the 6th, the moon moves into Capricorn, the moon is in Capricorn. Remember, the 6th is the day when Mars is making a sextile to Pluto. Well, in a way, Mars is not only making a sextile to Pluto, it's picking up on that sextile energy to not only Pluto, but to Venus, which is nearby, and the moon. And and the moon comes sweeping through that area on December 6th, which I think really goes to the bottom. It goes to the deep, to the secrets, to the underworld. And, um, and by the um, 11th, when that stuff begins to come out to the surface, um, I think it's very significant because then on the 13th, Mars moves from Scorpio into Sagittarius. And this is a part of an energy that began, um, uh, you know, mid-November, uh, but certainly through Thanksgiving. But by the 13th, when Mars moves into Sagittarius, there's this sense of, again, of blue sky, of potential, of having somewhere to go. And yet, oddly enough, this is, you know, the, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Um, Mars moves into Sagittarius on the 13th, the same day that Mercury moves into Capricorn. And so on one hand, we're getting the sense of, wow, I'm really pushing into the new territory here, and this is exciting. But Mercury moves into Capricorn and says, well, I'm not going to say as much because now I have somewhere I'm going. One other thing I want to add here before we move on, and that is on the 11th, the sun makes a square with Neptune. Now, remember, Neptune is still slow. It's gaining speed, but, I mean, Neptune turns direct at 20 and a half degrees of Pisces. And by December, uh, that's on December 1st. And on December 11th, almost two weeks later, Neptune has moved less than one thirtieth. That's two minutes of arc, less than one thirtieth of a degree. So, but for all practical purposes, Neptune is holding its position. It becomes like one of the key players this month because while everything else is still swirling around, Neptune is simply standing still. And that takes us up through the middle of the month. But around the middle of the month, I think there's some energy that changes. Around the 16th, 17th, 18th, I don't, I don't see anything easy. Um, these are all energies that have to do, I mean, I can highlight what the aspects are. Um, on the 16th, the sun is a half a square to Saturn. 
This is testing, running into walls. Um, on the 17th, the sun is a square and a half to Uranus. Again, the sun making this square and a half to Uranus and half square to Saturn on the 16th and 17th, that is um, that that is um, because Saturn and Uranus are so close to being square. In other words, what's happening is that the sun is moving right through a point that is half square to one and square and a half to the other. And even though the exact Saturn square Uranus doesn't happen for another week, man, I see December 16th and 17th as, as problematic. Also, Mercury squares Chiron on the 18th. Um, again, it's like we don't want to give our opponent, we don't want to give the nemesis any sense of power or slack. This is not, this is about anti forgiveness. In some ways, it's about blame. And then on the 18th, we also get the, the full moon. Now, this is not an eclipse. Eclipses occasionally happen in threes, but usually happen in pairs, and eclipses are over with the um, uh, total eclipse. The, the solar eclipse of December 3rd. But the full moon, the Sagittarius full moon at 8.35 p.m. on December 18th um, is, is, is important because we're getting so close to that Saturn-Uranus square. How close is it? Well, Saturn is at 10 and a half degrees of Aquarius and Uranus is less than 11 and a quarter degrees. They're within three quarters of a degree now and less than a week from being exact. The energy is really heating up now. And one other thing that I didn't mention that we need to bring into the mix that's part of the mix all, all, um, all month and in fact even through January is the fact that Venus has been slowing down, that Venus, which is the weirdest of the retrograde planet um, cycles, because, un, I mean, Mercury goes retrograde three times a year for about three weeks. Um, you know, Mars goes retrograde almost every other year, um, me, meaning it's almost two years for Mars to go retrograde. Venus is actually the ratio to Earth of the golden mean, which is 1.618. Oh, it's one of these numbers that doesn't end. And Venus's retrograde to Earth um, is it, it doesn't fit into any calendar. And well, it does into a Mayan calendar or into a Venus-based calendar, but it gets lost in the solar calendar. But Venus turns retrograde at about the same place in the sky every eight years. Venus turns retrograde five times every eight years, and it does it five points of a star apart from each I know you've had other presenters in podcasts talk about the Venus star, but Venus actually turns retrograde on December 19th at 26 degrees, 26 and a half degrees uh, of, of Capricorn. It goes, it goes retrograde from 26 degrees of Capricorn all the way back to 11 degrees of Capricorn by the end of January. So Venus, which has um, entered into um, Venus entered into Capricorn back in, I'll get you the date here in a second. There it is right there. Um, Venus entered into Capricorn the beginning of November, on November 5th. And it stayed in Capricorn all through November and then all through December because it turns retrograde in, um, on the 19th. And then all through 
January because it doesn't turn direct until the 29th and it turns direct at 11 degrees of Capricorn. Hold that number in your head for a moment because it's important and we'll come back to it in just a moment. Then Venus turns direct and it doesn't move out of um, it, it doesn't move out of its shadow. Its shadow is the area where when it went right direct, it turns retrograde, it goes retrograde and then turns direct. That area of the heavens that's covered three times by the direct, retrograde, and direct is called the planet shadow. So Venus um, on back in eleven, um, uh, back around the seventeenth of November, Venus moved into its shadow. Even though it's not turning um, direct yet, or not turning retrograde yet, it moved into its shadow November seventeenth. It turned retrograde. Um, and backed all the way up to that point again by January 29 at 11 degrees of Capricorn. That's that point. Then it turned direct and it doesn't move out of its shadow until March 1st. So November, December, January, and February, Venus is in Capricorn. Venus is not thrilled to be in Capricorn. I mean, Venus is warm and Capricorn is calculating. Um, Venus is in Capricorn. It's, it's in Saturn's sign. Um, and yet, nevertheless, there's something that's good that can happen from this because with Venus and Capricorn, if we learn control, self-control, if we learn how to take our immediate gratifications and immediate pleasures and set them aside for those things which are more important in the long haul, that's the benefit of that um, Venus retrograde. So Venus turns retrograde on the 19th, and on that same day, Chiron turns direct. There's movement that we haven't seen in a bit, and there wasn't much in November, but now we have, um, in December, we have, we have, um, Neptune turning direct. We have Chiron turning direct. Um, the only one of the outer planets yet that's left retrograde um, is Uranus, and that, will, that that turns direct, I think, in January. But we're feeling some movement, and this is all still leading up to, but we still haven't reached the Saturn-Uranus square. So we're on the week before Christmas, and we're really still prior to the winter solstice, on the 19th, on that same day when Venus turns retrograde, Chiron turns direct. We also have the sun making a sextile with Jupiter. This is that I always use the line, it's a pause in the disaster. It feels like there's some potential, some optimism. We may get caught up in the um, idealism of the holidays. And I think that that even is pulled another notch higher by the 20th, um, which is still the day before the solstice. Because on the 20th, we have Mercury making a trine with Uranus. In our mind, we're free. In our mind, we can go there. We can make the leap. We can make the jump. But we haven't done it in the physical world. And then on the 21st, we have the solstice. And I think that last week of December, things shift again. <sighs> we have one week. We have one week to go yet. We do, we do. So essentially, in the middle of the month, you're seeing challenging, more difficult aspects. In the beginning of the month, it's a little muddy in terms of like the overall energy. Um, it, it, it is. It's not easy because we have the eclipse and we have the squares. We, I mean, we we don't have a whole lot of smooth and easy energy. Um, really, 
Um, I mean, as I look down the aspect list, December 6th is a little bit of deep energy right on the tail end of that new moon um, on the 3rd. Um, and then on the 11th, we have another sextile. But beyond that, that first part of December, all the way up, you know, until even the 19th, there's not a lot of ease. There's not a lot of flowing energy. It's, uh, it, 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 feels, it feels tough. It feels like we know that, that we got to deal with stuff, whether we're dealing with it or not. Okay. All right. And then on the 20th and the 21st, there's a little reprieve, or at least on the 20th. On the 19th and 20th, there, 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 there is. Um, on the 21st, the sun moves into Capricorn. You know, this, this, this is the, in the northern hemisphere, this is the winter solstice. Um, and in the southern, it's the summer solstice or solstice. Um, both are correct. It depends on how you say it, tomato or tomato. This is the summer tomato. <laughs> Never mind. Um, but I, but, I, but I think the important thing here is that even though on the 21st, the sun moves into Capricorn, Mercury is in mid-Capricorn, Pluto is at 25 degrees of Capricorn, and Venus, having just turned retrograde, is at 26 degrees of Capricorn. It's Venus, remember, um, the, the thing about Venus and Venus's retrograde is it does it right around Pluto. Um, in fact, Venus joined up with Pluto back on December 11th, and then retrograde, it joins up with Pluto again on the 25th. What does this mean? This means that if we watch the news around the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th, and we see some stuff that's really coming up that's deeper than usual, Venus, Pluto, this is really serious stuff because it's Venus, it may involve, may involve women. It may involve what they're calling to be, you know, the, the biggest trial of the century, you know, the sex trial with, um, Ghislaine, Ghislaine, Ghislaine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know, but it, this is Venus Pluto. There's deep, dark stuff coming up. Certainly could be related to, you know, government, government money, military. Um, um, it, it certainly could be related to pandemic and or vaccination um, stuff in general. But this is around the 11th when Venus lines up with Pluto. Then, because Venus turns retrograde, on December 25th, on Christmas Day, Venus lines up with Pluto again. And it's not like it's really fast. And some, and really, to some extent, Venus really never gets away from lining up with Pluto through that whole period of time because Venus has slowed down to turn retrograde and Venus reaches all of, yeah, I mean, she's, she's only a degree, less than a degree away from Pluto um, on the 17th, 18th, 19th. So she's pretty much lined up with Pluto for the whole second part of December, which is heavy, but it brings stuff up that can be very, um, very significant. Um, and, and although I don't normally mention them here, the fact of the matter is also that this degree of this um, Venus conjunction to Pluto occurs at a point that is that is quintiled by Chiron. Quintiles are an aspect of, of creativity. They're an aspect of, of charismatic spirituality that can manifest something in a way that's beautiful that hadn't been manifest before. 
it's not always pretty. <laughs> I mean, I, that, it, it can be difficult also. But the fact is that this Venus um, conjunction to Pluto holds for almost two weeks is really important because it's into that. Normally, Venus just whizzes by Pluto in a couple of days. See you in two years, dude. You know, now it's like coming over uh, to visit Pluto one evening where it normally does it once a year for dinner. And all of a sudden she stays for nearly a month or for two or three weeks. It's a totally same energy, but a totally different dynamic. And into that, we have Saturn moving into its final phase with, um, with, with Uranus. And so it's really interesting that this all kind of combines into um, the, um, the end is near, if you will. What is the end? Well, it's the end of the year. It's the end of, the, of December. It's the end of the Saturn-Pluto exact Saturn, I'm sorry, Saturn-Uranus squares. Um, but it's also, how do I want to say this? On the day of the solstice, the Sun, Mercury, Pluto, and Venus are all in Capricorn. Remember, the setup for this whole thing that's going on now, even though we're now distracted by the urgency of Saturn square Uranus, the fact is that this all was set up by Jupiter, South Node, Pluto, and Saturn in Capricorn. And now on December 22nd with the sun in Capricorn, we have four planets in Capricorn again. And so we may be going through an instant replay of what began to unfold at the Saturn-Pluto conjunction on January 12th, 2020, which for those of you who have no memory at all, and I won't ask why, um, that was the day of the first reported mortality of what became known as COVID-19. Um, and it was also the day that the Wuhan laboratory announced the genome structure for this newly discovered virus. That was on the, ex it was within 24 hours of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Now, there are certainly other things that happen through the year that involve not only Saturn and Saturn-Pluto, but the Jupiter-Pluto, and I would tie a lot of that to the upwelling of the awareness of racial um, identity or the reintegration um, of um, corrected histories into this kind of neurotic history that, um, that the United States has had created much of the Western world, much of the patriarchy that had created for itself that was not built on facts, that was built on some fantasy of idealism and, you know, and, and uh, happy days, happy days again. And so I think that, that this is all part of what happened with all those planets in Capricorn. Now we're getting it again. However, Saturn still in its own sign, not Capricorn now, but Aquarius, because traditionally Saturn had two signs, and Aquarius being the home sign in modern astrology of Aquarius, and we're getting the the the, the absolute tension, the tug of war, and and it's like it's like the rope could break. The rope that because during a tug of war, there's so much tension. And and again, it's important to understand that oppositions um, are, are, are tension and, um, and, and conjunctions are compression. Squares kind of have a mixture of it, but here we have real, we have compression and tension pushing together into the same space, the same country, the same neighborhood, the same family, 
and we have tension, and that is we, we, we see the world so, so differently. And I think that this is really what defines the ending or as we move toward the end of the month. Um, and, and so the exact square is on the 23rd, 24th, depending. Again, it's on the 23rd. Um, I mean, if you're going to be exact, it's at 11.16 p.m. on the 23rd on the West Coast of the United States which would mean that it's really at 2 a.m., 2.15 a.m. on the 24th on the East Coast. But there's a couple of significant things that are happening in and right around this. Number one, on the 25th, just a couple of days later, Boxing Day, um, Mars makes a trine with, with, with Chiron. Remember, before we had this quincunx, we had, back at the eclipse, we had Chiron kind of being the thing that wouldn't fit in. And now Mars makes a trine with Chiron. It's almost like, yeah, we can make this work. We have the Jupiter conjuncting for its last time to Pluto, which we talked about extensively, those deep things coming up from within. We also have on the 26th, Mercury making a sextile with Neptune. We can put words, Mercury to Neptune, our dreams and visions. Remember, Neptune is still not moving very fast, even on the 23rd, 24th, um, 25th. Neptune is still at 20 degrees of Pisces, where it was when it turned retrograde, on uh, when it turned direct on December 1st. It hasn't even moved a tenth of a degree in a month. But now what's interesting is that on the 28th, Mars makes a half square with Pluto. There are some rumblings now that are deeper. There's stuff that now comes back up to the surface that's kind of like like a battle skirmish, like like something 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 within our awareness. This isn't undercover, but it's definitely some some fighting or infighting, if you will. And then Mars makes a quincunx with Uranus, also on the 28th, and then a sextile with Saturn. Now, here's the thing. Uranus and Saturn are square at this point in time. I mean, they're square within minutes, within minutes of arc. And Mars is making hard aspects um, to um, Uranus. That's a quincunx, an annoyance, a this isn't working. And at the same time, it's making a stabilizing, supportive, cooperative sextile with Saturn. And so it's almost like something is coming out of this that gives us some some reason to believe that there may be some stability. On the 30th, uh, oh, and, and also on the 29th, the sun is square Chiron. Again, it's healing is tough, but there is movement. There is movement here. And, and also we'd mentioned this earlier, right in the same week on the 28th, that's the day that Jupiter moves into Pisces. So we have huge movement these last few days, beginning with the square of Saturn and Uranus on the 23rd or 24th, but taking us right up to the end of the month on, on New Year's Eve Eve, my next favorite holiday. On New Year's Eve Eve, um, Mercury joins up with Pluto, and Mercury is on its way to move into Aquarius, but Mercury doesn't actually enter Aquarius um, until January 2nd. But Mercury lines up with Pluto um, on December 30th. And again, we, we're talking about things or things are coming up in ways that are new. It's not the same old stuff. 
And I think that even Mercury's half square with Mars on the 31st, um, I mean, this is a Sunday, Monday, but uh, um, December 31st is a Monday. And uh, is, no, is that right? December, uh, I take that back. December 31st is a Friday. So it's almost like as we're moving toward the end of the week and the end of the month, my feeling is, is that there's pressure um, to get things done, to get things taken care of. And we may, in fact, get caught up in a kind of cyclone of, of, of new ideas or of change or something that seems to happen pretty quickly for better and or for worse. And I would close this whole like little monologue with the fact that, like I said at the beginning, when we have Jupiter moving into Pisces, Jupiter and Neptune now are actually, um, they're, they're, traditional astrologers would say they are cohabitating um, Pisces. In other words, even though they're not conjunct, Jupiter at zero degrees of Pisces and Neptune at 20 degrees of Pisces, man, they're, they're already speaking the same language. And so this occurs all the way through their actual conjunction in early April. And then Jupiter moves into Aries by May because Jupiter's just sweeping right through Pisces really fast. Um, and so by May, we have that Jupiter in Aries. And you want to talk about the beginning of the end or the end of the end or the end is near. Part of this whole um, run of Jupiter joining up with Neptune and Pisces, then Jupiter moving into Aries, man, this is the beginning of what's new. However, it's important to know that by October, Jupiter is going to retrograde back into Pisces. Not for long, because it only does that until mm, December. By the beginning of 2023, Jupiter's back in Aries, and it ain't looking back from that point. But you can see here this larger transition. We're, we're moving away from this stuck place where we've been. And whether it's good or bad really will depend upon whether you're open to change or not. And change may come from not the direction that you expect or want. I mean, again, this isn't like, this isn't about picking sides and saying it's going to be good for these people and bad for those people. I think it's way more complicated than that. But the fact is that, you know, change is slow and the end is near. Hmm. <laughs> All right, Rick, I would love to ask you the question I was going to ask you in the beginning, which is, is, is kind of summing up. Well, it's a question that goes to the theme that you gave for the whole year, which was old versus new. Yeah. And you've just alluded to it again, like change is happening. We're, we're some of that, those places where we've been stuck are going to start moving and opening up and that how hard it is for you is going to be depend on how comfortable you are with change. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it, it's going to be partly how comfortable you are with change. And it's also going to be how comfortable you are with that particular change, because right. there may be changes that you're going to go, wow, this is great, but it's coming with that. And that sucks. Right. Right. Okay. So maybe you maybe, and maybe you're good with change in general, but you don't like this particular change that you're sensing or feeling or experiencing right. that is happening. Okay. Question for you, because you brought up this transhumanism thing. Yeah. Do you think that the old versus the new, the old being the old quote unquote human and the new being the transhuman. I mean, do you think that's the overarching trend that we're, that, that we're in transition 
of or not? You know how I am with yes, no questions. Yes. Um, I, I do think it is an overarching change. I do think that it is, um, whether it's being pushed right now into the current zeitgeist or, you know, and there's no connection at all between transhumanism and transsexuality. Right. Except the word trans. Right. Yeah. And for anybody <laughs> but that that's know what, but 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 yeah, that's important. Sure. Yeah. Because because the whole transsexuality in some ways is a I don't want to say it's a symptom because that then means well I guess you can have a symptom of positive change. But but that in itself is a fragment or a piece of a much larger change. And there are those people who are very resistant um, towards any form of, let's call it gender fluidity for as, as a better, the people who, who think that that is an aberration and that is something that can't happen and that's not human. Ah, not human. Because again, what a human is even today is not what a human was a couple hundred years ago when we spent most of our waking hours trying to get enough water and food to live. You know, we, we, we forget, we turn on the faucet and out comes hot water, you know? You know, we flush a toilet and away it goes. Um, we throw things in the washing machine or in an oven without having to build the fire or go out and hunt for a venison or deer or whatever. And so there are, if you took a human of the 16, 17, 1800s and plunked them into the middle of some of our lives, they would go, these are aliens. These are, these are, these are consciousness things from other planets that have nothing to do with anything human. I don't like this. I don't want this. Take me home. So you're saying (laughs) that, yes, you think we're in the midst of a transition into what people are calling transhumanism and that it may or may not be something to fear, meaning you're saying it, <laughs> it, No, Amanda, it, it may not be something to fear any more than the invention or the discovery of fire or electricity um, or of computers. The fact is that those things have been invented and they have changed us. We invent technology. Technology changes us. We are changing. We, you know, there was a huge movement in, I think, the mid-19th century, in the 1800s, maybe even earlier, in England against the Industrial Revolution called the Luddites, who felt that anything that was a machine that was, was horrible, that should, be, that should be destroyed, they were anti-human. This is really the beginning of transhumanism, because they believed that a human living in a world with machines was not the same as a real human. And so, yeah, I think this is an overarching issue, but I think it's so overarching that in 500 years or in a thousand years, we will look at the industrial revolution as the beginning of this three or 400 year change that maybe took us to the 21st or 22nd century where humans were this and now they're that. And whether you like it or not, doesn't really matter. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that the people who don't like it and are afraid of it won't do their best and won't even accomplish bringing down society so that we don't get there or get there as fast. 
but evolution is evolution. It's going to happen. What you know, whether it, it's it's the um, caterpillar basically saying, "No way in hell are you going to get me up into one of those things." I don't want to be a butterfly. I like being a caterpillar. Well, good luck with that, dude. Mm. Wow. Okay, I'm trying to absorb what you're saying and <laughs> stay neutral about it, um, but uh, it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, Are you trying to stay neutral about it because you don't like it? Um, yeah, I can't say that I'm excited about it in this moment. Not what I know about it. I mean, not what ah. I know. And maybe there's things I don't know about it that I would feel less resistant to. Yeah. And I see, I, I actually think going back years uh, as an astrologer, I mean, even back from in the late 60s, the musical hair. You know, Broadway musical, you know, the hippies, uh, the flower children made it to Broadway. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. And, you know, we have this idealism built around, you know, equality. Yeah, it's great that, you know, that people in an intimate relationship um, with Aquarian energy can actually be equals and friends, whereas in a prior age, that was not, that was not healthy. There was no friendship between, you know, marriage partners. It was, you know, ownership, you know, it was roles and responsibilities and, and, and fiscal ownership. And so the Aquarian thing sounded really great that we now have equality, women's rights, racial equality. These are all Aquarian things. And often when I was in a discussion with people kind of going on and on and on, I would say, I only have one thing to say about the age of Aquarius. And this will only fall in a right way if, you know, the early Star Trek stuff. And my one word was Borg. And Borg was the insect alien intelligence that was technologically way ahead of, of what humans were at the time. This is you know, Star Trek. It's fantasy, obviously. But the characters in Borg, whenever there was one encountered, countered, you know, and they could communicate with them, they'd go, who are you? And the, and the Borg would say, we are Borg. There was no such thing as self-identity, like an ant in an anthill. That's Aquarian energy, like it or not. I'm not saying it's the only manifestation of Aquarian energy, but if you want to talk about um, equality, you know, and equanimity and not having ego get in the way, look in a beehive or, or a termite, you know, or, or, or an ant colony. So, yeah, there's parts of it that are frightening. Now, the question is, how do we move in that direction without losing some facet of what actually does attach us to our, to our organic bodies? You know, um, I've read recently about some changes, some things that have been done, you know, with um, uh, people who had no legs who are running with um, that actually have they've developed a way um, to actually give um, it was in a hand to give the actual feeling of tactileness. You know, they, there, there are people who have robotic um, limbs. Mm -hmm. And with a robotic limb, you can pick up a pen, but there's no tactile sensation. You have to do it like visually. And apparently they've developed ways now whereby, you know, implanting, you know, um, silicon or making a, an interface where those things are happening. You know, are we going to outlaw them or are we going to make them illegal? Well, maybe, but they'll be legal somewhere. 
they'll continue to happen. Is this good or bad? You know, is it good or bad that we have electric lights that allow us to unnaturally stay up all night and read? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously we'll be exploring these themes for a long time. It seems like we're sort of exponentially, the, the pace is exponential in terms of us moving towards it, but which is why the fear is also exponential. Right. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So basically to sum up the month, we have. You, you do it. <laughs> I know. Seriously. We have a bumpy month. We don't have a smooth sailing month. It's definitely bumpy throughout with little pockets of, um, of ease or optimism or um, being able to sort of vision into the future or feeling like we're on stable ground. Mm -hmm. But basically the, the highlights that I wrote were that the confusion continues, that it's challenging in the middle of the month, that we're going to be doing potentially a replay of some of the Capricornian themes that began in January, uh, in January of 2020. Which, right. And, and also, Amanda, let's not forget that the themes of when Jupiter, when it went into Aquarius, mm -hmm. squared Uranus. And mm -hmm. um, um, when that happened, that was mid-January. That was right around January 6th, which has its own weight in American history already. Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, and that it was a month later that when Saturn first squared Uranus, that um, that Trump was impeached for a second time. And so those opening volleys of 2021 are still with us today. And we can imagine that they will come to a fevered pitch by the end of December. Okay. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it yes. does. Um, okay, so then we also have uh, basically the, the, the final Saturn-Uranus square by December 1st, we're already in orb of it. So it's basically the background of the entire month and it yeah. will be very present. It will definitely come to that, that culminating point, December 23rd, 24th. But then you even said like the, the play out of that is a week yeah. or two or more. Or, or more, or more. Yeah. And again, you know, I, I hate to do this, but it really drags out all the way through the end of 2022. It's just not at the same level. I mean, 2021 never, ever once got away from the fact that Saturn, Pluto, Saturn, Uranus square was was the theme that was going to be every day, every week, every month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. OK, then we have um, the, the, the Venus is Venus slowing down, Venus going retrograde. Venus and Pluto, this all this like kind of deep undercurrents like Venus normally goes through Pluto quickly, but but Venus is going to be hanging out with Pluto. So revealing things, bringing things up. You also mentioned some healing opportunity around that, which made me think of like Tantra or alchemy or things that, you know, I like you're taking, it. yeah, you're taking that the deep energy and you're actually using it to transform yes. or heal. Yeah. Okay. Um, your stuff coming up to the surface. Uh, there could be some fighting. You're talking about this towards the end of the month. Um, we have a reason, some reasons to believe there could be stability towards the end of the month and, and a lot of movement. So things like actually starting to move and break up towards the end of the month. So it's, it's a challenging month. 
with a lot of revisiting of the themes that we've been we've been dealing with all year. Yeah. But then things start to kind of break apart a little bit or at least start moving in a new direction and changing towards the end of the month. And you're saying at the very end of the month, we could find ourselves caught up in like a cyclone of change, like really quick, rapid, lots of change happening at once. Right. Or 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 anger because it isn't anger because it isn't changing because it isn't moving fast enough. In other words, the energy is there, but it's semi squares and sesqui squares. Oh. It's not easy. So w one could say that we're that we're, that we're freaking out and trying to make everything happen. And then yet one could also say, well, that's possible, but it also may be that the resistance is freaking out and making sure nothing happens. And when I say we and they, I'm not really taking political sides here. You can flip that back and forth because again, and I've said this before, where there's a winner, there's a loser. And somehow one of the bigger things that could possibly happen out of a Jupiter conjunction to Neptune is the idea that we are not looking for winners and losers. We're looking for mutual survival. Mm. Wow. Okay. So Rick, I know this isn't in the contract of this particular episode, <laughs> but, um, but you said I was the boss and I get to do whatever I want. Whatever so, you want. Okay, great. So if, we're then we're now at the end of December and we're looking towards 2022 and we'll do an episode with you more focused on 2022. But what are we looking to into the next year as the overarching theme? Have you, have you landed on a 2022 theme yet? A, a little bit. Well, I, I shouldn't say a little bit. I have a feature article that is the cover feature article of this month's mountain astrologer. So nice. I'm basically entitled, um, uh, it, it, it isn't over. Um, <laughs> it, it isn't, isn't over. Okay. And, um, but, 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 but I've done enough research to write a, um, a long, thorough feature article in the Mountain Astrologer. For those of you who don't subscribe, subscribe, or at least you can find it online. Um, and so, yeah, I have spent some time with it. Um, and there is definite shift in movement, some of which is about the um, Jupiter moving into Pisces and Aries, which is a very new and different flavor. And some of it is that we get, e even though we still have the ramifications and the fallout of not only the Uranus-Pluto squares from 2012 to 2015, think about that. We like to think of that done bullshit. That's yeah. still informing everything else that's going on right now is yeah. still happening in the wake of what went down during those years around the planet. Mm -hmm. And so we have that going. We have the craziness of 2020 and 2021. And as we move into 2022, that stuff will sink a little further into the past. But at the same time, the waves that they've created will continue to still have ramifications. Okay, so we're still riding waves from all the different events that have happened. Of course. Are you seeing any like new anything, you know, anything new, a new twist in the plot at all? Oh, yeah, I think I think the the primary new twist in the plot which we've covered in a couple of different directions and I'm sure we'll revisit again as will other people on 
um, uh, you know, on, on the astrology hub, and that is the Uranus Neptune. I'm sorry, that is the Jupiter Neptune conjunction in Pisces and Jupiter's subsequent entry into Aries. That is all new territory. Okay. So it's not over yet, meaning the things that we've been dealing with are not going to just magically go away in this new 20, in this new year. And there are going to be some new territories that we're exploring with the Jupiter movement. I think that is fair to say. And I would even add one other thing in this, you know, as any cycle gets closer to the end, time speeds up, you know, whether it's our individual lives um, or whether it's a historical process or whether it's a presidential term, you know, um, and the fact of the matter is that even though we are weeks away from being in 2022, in March of 2023, Pluto leaves Capricorn. Mm. And so we're going to see more and more freaking out over what needs to be done. And I'm not saying this will be consciously related, but what will happen is that Pluto, as it realizes, or as the universe realizes, if it's self-reflective, I'm not sure how that works. But the fact is that through 2022, through, through December of 2021, through all of, um, through all of 2022, and through the middle of March of 2023, all those things that Pluto has started from back in 2008, when it first moved into um, when, it, when it first moved into um, Capricorn, um, these are all things that have to kind of be put to rest because once Pluto is in Aquarius, even though there's a retrograde period and direct again, um, it's like now we're again, it's another step further away from whatever that was that happened. And that's the way history works, whether you look back at the 90s or whether you look back at, you know, the 2010 you know, any period of time that you look at, and by the way, it was 20, um, it was 2010 when, um, uh, let's see, it was 2010, I think, when, when Jupiter, let's see, Jupiter moved into Aries. Yeah, yeah, it was um, uh, Jupiter moving into Aries that was in 2010, and Jupiter um, was lined up with Uranus. And that whole 2010 period of time, um, and then Uranus moves into Aries. Man, this is like, this was intense. And so I think when these outer planets change signs and we don't have, um, we don't have Uranus or Neptune changing signs for a bit yet, Neptune will be um, move into Aries and Uranus will be moving into Gemini. But Pluto's move into Aquarius, I think, will be the ability to put what happened in 2010 through 2021, if not to bed, at least into the, you know, retirement home, (laughs) waiting for it to go somewhere else. Yeah. So Rick, for people that where that feels like a really long time away and it's like, oh my God, I can't do this for that much longer. What, what do you have to say? I don't think there's a, I don't think that there is a panacea, a one word solves all. I mean, I think that what 
if I were to seriously, uh, and part of me does not want to even attempt to answer this seriously, you know, part of me wants to say move to a state where drugs are legal. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> not even that I do that. That's not an issue. Um, but, um, you know, I think that that self-awareness, self-care, um, uh, following what I call the Dalai Lama's religion, and I don't mean Buddhism, I mean kindness, you know, kindness, compassion. Um, I think that that's important. It's a, it's like we can't change the world individually, but we can change ourselves and we can change our relationship to those around us. And if everyone did that, then the world would change. And I'm not, I'm not a pessimist and I'm also not, I'm not an optimist, but I am a possibilist. And I do know that in this time where we have accelerated the dynamic of human thought and awareness to higher than it's ever been, frequencies on the planet are higher than they've ever been, um, that we can change everything on a, on a dime. Um, and the question becomes, um, how much pain will it take? Look, we people make amazing changes in their lives, but they often don't do it when they're having a good day. And so from that standpoint, you know, this 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 opening or for some people closing of 2020 2021 um was enough for them to change their life, their direction, their I'm not going to go back to my old job, I'm going to figure out a way to live closer to the land, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But, you know, there are some people that that happened to um, in 2010, you know, or if you lived in Bhopal, India, that happened for you back in the 80s when there was your apocalypse and half your town died, you know, from a poisoning from the local union carbide plant or whatever. You know, the timing on this happens at di to different people at different times. But I think that the overarching strategy is still to understand that, we are all little pieces in a very, very big and complex piece. And we can't just change the very big and complex piece, but we can each work on ourselves. It was Jung in his last book that he wrote before he died, a book called The Undiscovered Self, a brilliant little, I don't know, 110 page little little booklet. Um, he said that that world peace will never be gained by politicians signing treaties. World peace will be gained when individual peace of mind is gained, when people solve the wars happening within their minds. How much war is based upon fears, you know, and, you know, and projected anger and unresolved things individually? Maybe all of it. I don't have all the, I don't have all the answers, but I got a lot of good questions. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's really helpful and really good perspective to remember. And I think some of the things that you talked about in the beginning with Jupiter and Pisces and the potential for Jupiter and Pisces with Neptune, which being people having more of an orientation to spirit versus yeah. the yeah. You know, materialism and, and the things that we've gotten really caught up in. And, and remember, astrology is not an answer. Astrology is just a map. If you are greedy and fearful, astrology will be your map to finding more greed and more fear. Mm. You know, astrology is not the answer and it's also not reality. You know, we, we astrologers tend 
to confuse the map with reality. There are many, many, many different ways of looking at the world, and astrology is one that's totally and ultimately cool. And, and it's useful, but it's not useful if you're using it to reinforce your fears or your reasons why this religion or this race or those people or those neighbors are assholes. That doesn't work. It's not a good use of astrology. And yet, unfortunately, we all know astrologers who do that, you know? It's, and so we need to be careful as to the place we put astrology in our lives. Um, I mean, it's a, an amazing, an amazing set of tools, but it yeah. is not the answer. Yes, exactly. And I think one of the things for me, when I know that astrology as a tool is giving us the insight that the energies that we've been dealing with are not necessarily over, like we need to, we're, we're going to be navigating the, the tides that have been created by the different events for a while. It's helpful because then I'm not having that false hope of, okay, it's almost over. I just need to hang in there for another month or another. Yeah. It's like, no, we're in this for the long haul. And where where are the opportunities? Where are the in invitations? Yeah. What is this time of transformation going to mean for you yeah. individually? You know, the world is doing what it's doing. What is it going to mean for you? And what is it that you came here to do in this time? So I think that, you know, astrology can give us so many clues into those answers. And for every person, it's going to be different. So it's like you said, here's the map, here's the, the energy, here's, yeah. here's how things are looking. And then we're all making choices and how we're, we're using that information to live our lives. Do I, do I get paid overtime? Yeah, uh, I mean, you definitely deserve overtime. You absolutely deserve overtime. I will not ask you any more questions, Rick. I promise we're done. Um, okay. So the final things I know you're there with Gail, you probably have some plans tonight. Okay. No, we're fine. Okay. So the final things, just remember to sign up for the forecast. It's happening the 8th and 9th. There will be 12 astrologers, in, including Achuta Bhava, Gary Caton, Adam Summer, Stormy Grace. I'm trying to think of names like off the top of my head. Shannon Gill, Linda Bird. Okay. So there's going to be a lot of amazing astrologers all on two days of panels talking about 2022. As always, we'll be talking about the themes, the major transits, and then what can you do with this? You know, what, what are some, what are the invitations of the astrology? So that's happening December 8th and 9th. It's free. Go to astrologyhub.com slash 2022 forecast. Reserve your seat now. And um, I think that's all. We're going to just end there. Good. Anything else you wanted to mention? I'm no? good. Okay. All right. Everybody, thank you so much for being here. We're really looking forward to an amazing 2022 with all of you with astrology again as our guide knowing that this is just enabling more choice in your life. And um, I can't wait to spend some more time with you. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of our community. And as always, thank you for making astrology a part of your life. We'll catch you on the next episode. Hey there, it's Amanda here, the founder of Astrology Hub. And I'd like to invite you to join me and 12 top astrologers for our sixth annual free 2022 forecast panel event happening this December 8th and 9th. And with the USA's Pluto return, the nodal access shift, the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction in Pisces, and some other really key transits happening next year, it would be ideal to get the astrological weather forecast early so you can be prepared for what's ahead. You'll hear expert astrological insights from astrologers like Achuta Bhava, Adam Summer, Stormy Grace, 
Gary Caton, Michael Bryan, Christopher Renstrom, Jen Zart, and more. The event is free and will be taking place on December 8th and 9th, 2021. If you can't join us live or for the full event, make sure you register so we know to send you the limited time recordings. To reserve your spot, register today at astrologyhub.com slash forecast panel. We hope to see you there.